Welcome back to the Dungeon Masters blog, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac. And it's just me today in the intro, which you're probably used to by now. Um, but today we have a personal friend, the moderator, as the term is used in Blue Planet, of my favorite TTRPG session of all time, and it is none other than Jeff Barber. And today we will be talking all about biomods, which comes from the game that he created, Blue Planet, but also talking about how to integrate them into kind of any TTRPG game that you have, be it Dungeons and Dragons, something else, is there sci-fi, is there not, which is some awesome ways to take and integrate biomods into your game. And today we have a five-star review to read out, and this one comes from Unovian, which it kind of makes me think of Pokemon, and of course it does. And it is entitled, Inspired Me to Write My Own Homebrew Setting. Five stars. Hello from Canada. I started listening to the podcast when I started my new job, and I absolutely love it. This podcast filled long hours of drafting with fun conversation, inspiration, and ideas that are reminding me to keep up the spirit of creativity and collaboration in my current campaign. All of this great content even inspired me to write my very own low magic turned high magic setting, and I hope to run it in a game one day. Thanks for all your hard work and keep it up. And to that, I would of course always say, you keep it up and keep on dungeon mastering. Thank you, Unovian, for that review. And with that, we'll head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we have the what I consider the absolute privilege of having the game master behind my personal all-time best RPG experience ever. And it is Jeff Barber, and he is a creator of original immersive tabletop role-playing games, namely Upwind, and even more so, Blue Planet. So, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Oh, shucks. Now I'm blushing and getting my toe <laughs> in the ground. And we and we can see it because we're on Zoom right now, but yeah. the listeners cannot. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. they If you're a longtime listener of the Dungeon Masters block, you have undoubtedly, or most other things I've done, you have undoubtedly at some point heard my lightning in a bottle experience of Blue Planet at uh, Gen Con several years ago. And um, Jeff both wrote Blue Planet and ran that game. It is a game that is still talked about by the people that were there. Um, Where credit is due, I can't, I, I have to say, it, it, I think it was the table. I think everybody contributed their equal share to the success of that particular game. Neil, I, what I learn about you is more and more you are the ultimate fanboy that doesn't take much to make a fanboy out of you. Yeah. And that's the best that's the best thing that anybody could ever ask for. Yeah. And for for additional context, and I agree, it, it is the true epitome of lightning in a bottle. But for context, I did not make a joke for the better part of four hours. I was so immersed in this game, which if there that's all the context you need for what was happening. But uh, we will jump, as always, into our interview section and our very first and wide open question of, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, anything you think our listeners would appre appreciate about you? 
sure. Uh, I'm an ecologist by training, uh, a teacher by vocation, I guess. And um, I design games just because I love games, uh, primarily RPGs. And, it, and it's really a side gig. I mean, we publish some stuff, but um, I, I do it for the, for the love of the game, I guess. Which is sometimes where the best content comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody does anything for a super long time and it becomes a job, but you're always doing it from a place of passion. Like that creates some of the best stuff. Yeah, it, it, it does often feel a little bit like a compulsion. Um, I told myself a while back I was done just because in the midst of it, it's sometimes pretty exhausting uh, when you're doing it on the side. Um, but then you get an idea and you just can't let it go. It gets stuck in your teeth and you chew on it. And you're like, oh, and kind of for me, the only way to, sometimes get past that obsession is to just put it on paper. What a great analogy of something being stuck in your teeth and just chewing on it. That's great. So Jeff, uh, our second question always is, is there anything that you are currently working on? And we always have the preface here that you can talk about at the moment. Uh, Yeah, uh, actually, I'm glad you asked that. Um, We're in the middle of a Kickstarter right now. Uh, for a new edition of our flagship RPG, Blue Planet, called Blue Planet Recontact, which is um, technically the third edition of the game. Uh, It has all new mechanics, uh, a lot of updates to the setting. We're really excited, all all new art, full-color art, uh, and we're really excited to see what we can do with it. That's awesome. So if you have played blue planet in the past if you loved it if you want to support jeff and the team go out find the kickstarter we'll have that in the show notes uh for you to go and support that so get out there and support them there's actually an 80 page free quick start guide that has all of the rules and uh, adventure and characters ready to go so if anyone's curious about it they they can get into it for nothing and have a good time with it for free awesome so Last up in our interview section, as always, is our surprise question. Um, and so I haven't pulled. You know what? I can pull one straight out of my brain to get to get it into a little bit of an RPG set. I was um, a little yikes about this when I saw it in your outline. Okay. I remember at Gen Con, I think you pulled one of these on me. You pulled yes. one of everyone at the table, I think. Yes, we'll do this one. So I can't remember who it is from, but it's a question I really enjoy. Um, and we'll give credit where credit's due in the future. But currently, if you were a dragon, like right now, you turn into a dragon, mm. what would you hoard? Hmm. And, and I'm, I'm assuming since I'm a dragon, that implies supernatural abilities so I can hoard it doesn't have to necessarily be physical things, right? No, it's wide open. Like you... You, Jeff, are now a dragon of some sort, and you start amassing your horde. What is it that you put in there? I feel like I will want to hoard, and this is going to sound really uh, tacky, I guess, some sort of goodwill that I could then sort of disperse, because it just feels like so much these days is lacking goodwill. So yeah, it'd be great to be some kind of dragon that could draw that out of people so that it was out in the world a little more. I guess dragons by definition sit on their hordes, but there's there's gotta be dragons that do more of a of a almost a humanitarian, a draconian sort of giveaway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Also, well played on Draconian. Uh, uh, yeah, you like that? I did. I've greatly appreciated <laughs> that. Um but yeah, I I think we should move on because my brain is gonna try and go down that track way, way too much. Um oh, yeah. so let's let's 
let's pivot. I love it because literally my brain is spinning out with ideas. Um, so let's pivot straight into what we consider the meat of the topic. Actually, you know what? Chris, you've already shared that you are like brimming with brand new energy after um, we, I sent over the primer. You started looking at it and there was a pretty specific piece of that primer that we wanted to talk about. And I think it works so well, obviously for Blue Planet, but I think it's one of those things that like you can see in another game and really adapt to almost any version of your TTRPG. And I'm super excited to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that we see in literature and movies all the time happen in some way, shape, or form. We are going to talk about bio modifications, uh, the way in which somebody's at a molecular level is fused in some way with either items or elements from the world that are not usually native to their existence. And so... Jeff, you guys have a, have, a, have a wonderful section on this in your Blue Planet game. So would you talk to us a little bit about what those things are, how they've been used in your systems uh, in the past that our listeners might be able to take and run with uh, for their games? Yeah, biomods, I kind of think of them in two general categories. Ultimately, I think in, especially in role-playing games, uh, they do a good job of sort of taking the place uh of that whiz-bang element you want for your characters. Uh, if it's not a mundane setting, most games have some sort of element that makes their characters uh, powerful or special or different. In fantasy games, that's magic spells generally or magic items or something. In science fiction games, where my, my uh, preferred kind of gaming, that can be the technology, but it can also be the way technology is integrated with the characters' bodies, giving them abilities that essentially are parallels to the, the magic spells or, or other supernatural features in a fantasy game. And generally those add either to enhancing the structure, uh, the function or the aesthetics of the character. Uh, and it really, I think, depends on the setting for which way the lean is on those. Um, I think some games incorporate them because of the aesthetics, right? So that the artwork can have that very definitive look to it. Obviously, the characters like it for the function, but with Blue Planet, we tried to approach it as a natural extension of the evolution of technology and genetic engineering with the idea that most of these kinds of things are only going to be viable if they're economically viable. Uh, and so they would be created for functional purposes. Do they make you better at what you do? Are they worth the investment to add them to your physicality? Um, and if they are, then they have to do something that's valuable to you at a, at a high enough level. So a lot of ours are pretty practical. Uh, well, practical in the setting of the game. But that's really sort of where we started with the choices we made in both the way we presented them and the ones we actually created for the, for the game. Reading through your section, that became very abundantly clear and like there's there's so many places that you can go with it i mean you're talking about practically implementing them into your games like there's so many different levels of practicality too that you can think of you know various different levels of expense that it takes to add them into the game you know i mean we're talking most of our audience is talking about dungeons and dragons while we're talking about this you know and so there's different ways in which you could take there's so many different ways that you could take like items and 
different creations of characters. You know, I think about like there's some of this that kind of happens with like uh, flesh golems and various different things where there's like some sort of bio modifications happening there. And there's just there's so many fun elements that you can add into each of our games. So I'm just curious, what are our experiences? Obviously, Jeff, you've you've run this game for many, many people in the past. What are what are your experiences been with people using bio modifications? And same question to you, Neil. What are some of the experiences that we've had with those in our games at the tables that we uh, run? Um, I, I think because we feature them so heavily in Blue Planet, they are uh, certainly when I run games with pre-gen characters, they're, they're full of biomods because we want to present some of the more unique features of the, of the setting. Uh, but when I run games where people make their own characters, there seems to be two kinds of people, people who just load up in as many as they can get away with in terms of their backstory uh, or resources. And then there's the people who are all, all natural, right? They, for some reason, that's the character that they're, they're imagining. Um, in Blue Planet, and specifically, a large number of the characters are what we call natives within the setting. And they are the descendants of genetically engineered ancestors. So they are born with, cha- with changes built in, uh, with differences built in. Um, and so even though characters who are not opting to have specific mods are often already modded just by their genetic heritage. And there's a variety of characters in the game that, that sort of come that way. So you just sort of choose to play one of those, you're automatically choosing to play biomods, even if you're not further modifying the character. In, in Blue Planet, there are kind of three categories. The, there's surgical modifications, postnatal genetic modifications, and then genetic redesigns. And it's those genetic redesigns that I'm talking about in terms of people choosing a particular kind of character and already having them baked in. They are ubiquitous in the setting to the point where it's funny, they're they're almost like the background of the story, like swords are in D&D, you know, everyone's got a sword. Um, and so you don't really think about swords and sorting and the, the significance of a sword when you're playing D&D. It's just something that's there and, and always part of the story. Uh, almost necessary, necessarily so. And the same thing in, in Blue Planet there. They are such a part of what happens both narratively and mechanically that it's like any other tool in your house. It's like a refrigerator or a hammer. And so they don't stand out with the sort of blatant featuring they are in in other kinds of stories, like superhero stories. Like uh, I was thinking in preparation for today's meeting, like superheroes are, there's a lot of biomod elements in superhero stories like uh, the winter soldier right he's got his big cyber arm well even in some of the x-men stuff i mean there's there's a bunch of that in there as well yeah all all, the, all of the sort of spectrum of mutant powers and the spectrum of, of added powers they all seem to be right there in the front those are featured those are like the primary thing about that person uh whereas the way i like to play them at least, at least in blue planet because of their ubiquity they are just part of the person and they are used in the narrative, in the narrative, but they're also used mechanically, but it's just like anything else. It's like when they use their strength or their intelligence or their mechanical arm or their symbiote that prevents disease or makes them healthier or whatever it happens to be. Uh, so yeah, I, I like them to be ubiquitous in, in this particular setting, but, but also just part of the natural story of the game. Well, and I think there's, yeah, I think to make it, whatever you want. I mean, that's what we always say in the show is like, you can take what we want and have varying different levels of that. 
in your game too, you know, I, in various different ways that it comes about, you know, I recently watched the daredevil movies again and that, that whole like underground layer that's like sort of shady where he gets like essentially tortured to have the abilities come out of him, Like the way in which biomods are brought into your game could be really interesting to figure out how those implement them. And quite frankly, it could be like the way that they come into your game influences how people see them in your game. You know, and so that they're like this shady underground thing that nobody really knows about, but you have to be like essentially tortured and put through this process for it to come out. And then it's a randomly generated thing or whatever. I mean, there's that could be really frightening to some people. It's like it's like a a magic that people don't understand or whatever. Like there's so many fun elements that you can add in to make it whatever you want. It builds into things like I mean, classism, like you can't afford it, so you don't get it. Or like you said, shady underground. If you have it, you must be a criminal or you must be shady or a super spy or something or a superhero, right? Like uh, they are, they are, will certainly identify the characters based on the precepts of the setting for sure. Neil, what have your experiences been with biomods and the like in your games? But I think one of the the best things to think about is, yeah, especially with Blue Planet, like my own experience with the game is like it is so ubiquitous that it is part of the natural way that things exist. And it's figuring out more of the why's, not the if. Like it's a thing like that. You just have them, but it's why you have them, how you have them. Are they illegal? Are they not illegal? And that's another really fun way to look at it as well. Or are they both? Yeah, exactly. There are legal and illegal versions, and then you get back into the the class system or what it can do is the reason why you shouldn't have it. So, like, that, I think that's one of the biggest things about this topic is that looking at it both from the perspective of just the bio mods, but then like Jeff, you hit it perfectly, and it makes me think back to Thor of like the only difference between magic and technology and that whole conversation. But even having more. Uh, narrative reasons as to why you have magic um, and how people view it because I think we get a little bit into just accepting it in D&D but man like you have in my head you almost have like these cold war scenarios of high level wizards like why are you just allowed to wander around but then again you start to get into like the Sokovia Accord is what I also think of I'm just like you guys have all this and it kind of feels like you don't have any rules. What are we doing here? Like, what's what's the back and forth conversation? And then to speak more to, like, traditional fantasy, if you will, those biomods I've definitely seen as a really fun way to start reskinning certain things. Like, I love the idea of a magic item not wearing, a, a like, a <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Well, my brain's in a weird place, I guess, today. So it made me think of like, oh, I can cast like a time spell. And then like because I'm wearing a giant flavor flave looking necklace <laughs> clock thing. But like, what is the purpose of that? And then what is what is a biomod that I could do? Is it some kind of neural implant that allows me to basically have what is the basis of like bullet time rather than just this gaudy necklace that, that I've gotten from some random monster? I mean, there's so many like, I mean, I think about, you know, just transitioning this into my own world and like there's a perfect era that I can think of in the timeline where I'm like, this makes total sense where biomancy or whatever we want to call it would start to become a thing, you know, 
And so thinking about like, what is that? Be, what does the introduction of that look like? How is that viewed as an introduction in some ways? Like I'm thinking because there was this plague that went through the world and now people have lost limbs and parts of their bodies because of this plague, it's kind of seen as a step back to normal, you know? And then like anything that's good and valuable that comes out in that sort of way is eventually twisted. Every good thing is twisted for evil at some point when it comes out, right? And so there's like the side of that that comes out. The other part that I think about is... You know, I think about you know how I would implement it in my world is like if you want to implement like the abilities of a magical item, you have to like fuse with it in some way. And so how much of that is aesthetically visible? You know, if you have a helm that's going to give you, you know, whatever ability, mind reading or whatever, like how much of that is still visible after it's been bio uh, engineered to your physical DNA? Does it completely dissolve? Is there like you know, the, the scalp of your head changes color to match it, you know, or is it just physically fused there and you can't get it off? Like there's all of those aesthetic things that, or is it a portion of the spell or the class or whatever is using it? You have to roll a percentile die to see how much of the percentage of it is fully infused or fully visible. You know, like there's so many of those sorts of elements that I think about that's like, this could be really fun and interesting for players to have to deal with as the as the ramifications of making these genetic modifications that they're paying for. Yeah, there's a parallel in a lot of games to that sort of aesthetic issue. There's a more of like a game balance conundrum, right? It's been interesting to see how different games deal with it. I remember uh, it's been a long time since I've played Shadowrun, uh, probably since like first or second edition, I think. But um, there was, was it called Humanity? Was it the Humanity? that you lost as you added yep. biomods to your character and it made certain aspects of your character more difficult to manage. It, it, depending upon, I mean, Shadowrun is, is, is own aesthetic, but if you're trying like maybe Blue Planet to be a, a harder science fiction sort of setting, what are the limits that you can put on it? How many helmets can you fuse to your head, right? And in the, in the narrative, you know, what is the structure of your world that provides that limit? If there is one, uh, but mechanically, in terms of game balance and providing rules that the table can use, how do you create that so that it doesn't seem like an arbitrary decision when built into your to your setting? I think that's also an interesting challenge for a game for a game designer or a game master um, around this idea of biomods. Well, you know, the the immediate thing that comes to my mind for D and D is like you have three attunement slots, and if you decide to fuse with one. It's permanently used. You can't you can't get rid of it. And so now you only have two attunement slots left, you know, and that that makes a really difficult decision because sometimes you use all of those attunement spots when you're going to go to a specific place, you know, to try and give yourself an advantage going into a cold atmosphere or a hot atmosphere. And now you have to shift and say, I can only have two of those because I made this decision to fuse with this helm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the first thing that I think of for D&D that makes it like bigger decision than just like hey i pay this exorbitant amount of money to fuse with this ability and i can do this 20 times and i become super op you know yeah that well and the interesting thing thing to think about because uh, i i mean it's so funny because both of you are going down like the exact same thought process i was but then thinking about older editions where your limitation is basically your how do you say that like slots on your character like i can only wear one helm 
and I can only wear one magic ring per hand unless I get the necklace that is the hand to put on a new magic ring. Um, so it is, it, it's that limitation as well. But then I guess a question to pose back to you, Jeff, because I don't think I've experienced it. Is there the removal of biomods in Blue Planet and what does that look like? Because I think that's a really good frame of reference for the conversation of like, okay, so I've done this biomod, but maybe I want this other biomod and they don't work narratively or uh, like you said, from a game balance perspective of um, that sort of thing. So yeah, question, question to you is, can I remove a biomod? Uh, in Blue Planet, sure. I mean, in other yeah. games, I guess that's going to be specific to those games. But yeah. in Blue Planet, the one of the well, the primary MacGuffin is this idea of the longevity matrix, the xenosilicate that's being uh, harvested from the planet and driving the economy. That has allowed genetic engineers to perfect genetic engineering and medical science and, and cybernetic design and engineering. Uh, are far enough advanced that it that it all works essentially perfectly. I mean, things wear out and things get damaged, but there's nothing that surgeons can't do and can't heal in terms of any kind of medical or aesthetic surgery. So you can implant and take out any physical biomods um, and do perfect healing afterwards. With enough xenosilicate, you can do all the genetic engineering you want so the simple answer is yes, you can remove them and, and repair any lingering damage, um, replace them with whatever. So the question becomes, what about just piling them on, right? And I'm sure in some cases you can say, well, logically those two things aren't really compatible or they overlap enough that you don't need both. Or maybe if you want to somehow provide a, a limit for that particular character, maybe there is some sort of feedback loop or meta, uh, metabolically or some sort of interference that prevents them from working right together. But what we ended up having to settle on mechanically in terms of game balance is just cost. Not everybody can afford them. I and mean, most people, many people, at least in the US, have a car or access to uh, transportation, right? So it's, it's that kind of ubiquity, it's everywhere. Um, and you can use it as you need it. But you might, not also, you might not have access to your own car or you might not have access to a, a, a Ferrari or three Ferraris. But in the game, that's sort of the idea with your, your biomods. They're limited by the, the resources of your character in a very capitalist, capitalistic way, right? Um, and so depending upon the nature of the campaign you're running, the moderator kind of sets those boundaries at the beginning, and this is the money you have available for biomods. Um, and then you can get more resources in the game and, and add more later, except for issues, as you already mentioned, of legality. Some things are more legal than others or... Or, or more cutting edge or harder to, there's a rarity variable as well. Like, is it something that's new on the market and just been designed and is experimental or is it something that is uh, common and everybody can pick it up at the corner biomod boutique, right? So it's those things that we've used to sort of limit the overabundance in characters. And really it, it requires some kind of cooperative boundary setting in terms of the story between the players and the, and the moderator. So good, yep. I have too many thoughts. Um, I'm trying to piece them out uh, because I also makes me think of like every game. Those are some really great questions to start asking of like, what is the resource level of your party? Because there's no reason why your first level party 
couldn't have three attuned magic items because they do like is it the ubiqui ubiqu- like you said is it everywhere so they have it or is it because these this group happens to be funded super well on their expedition and you're just like here go ahead yeah the pick uh all three pick all three slots i'll even let you have a rare or down um and then whatever you want and then you just run out as this like a really well outfitted first level group like there's no reason that that can't be true so that's, that's such an interesting question i know i have probably never asked at the beginning of my like oh you're in a tavern <laughs> yeah i think like, a lot of session zeros like the emphasis on session zero these days i think is yeah. helping people think a lot about those sorts of things right mm-hmm. um what is the kind of story you want to tell what kind of party do you need to tell that story uh, i'm thinking from a moderator standpoint you know mm-hmm. and, the care, and the players can have some input you can get their feedback on what they want to see in the story and it just generally makes it better for everybody. And if everyone decides they want to play a uh, higher level or a higher power level, uh, that would be uh, an easy way to establish that. So one of the other questions we kind of, we have to, to pose is thinking, cause what, I guess maybe we don't contextualize this question as well as we should, but one of the things is maybe you're listening to this episode and you're super inspired about the idea of biomods, but you're actively running a game right now. So then one of the questions we like to pose is the idea of like, how would I add this to my game? Because there's two ways. There's the absolute great conversation that you started, Jeff, of like session zero is becoming much more prominent and you can start to have all of those discussions up front. The other version is like, I'm already in my two year long campaign. Biomods are like, my brain is just blowing up. Like with, I need these in my game, but what do I do? do like how do i add those so i guess that that's a question to all three of us of course is like how would we add those either to um an existing game or a game um that we're just started oh i love i mean the easy way for me is to add it in as like a black market thing like it if it's not already readily available in cities that you've come up against like just just add it into the black market if they come across a thieves guild or whatever or a mysterious mages guild or a necromancer or whatever an easy easy way in is to just throw it out there as something black market ish because it's not something that they've seen until this moment because they're a high enough level or whatever it is and so i mean i'm already thinking about that for my sessions coming up i'm like we've been in this for a year and a half i don't know if i want to wait till the next campaign to throw these things in here so how do i get them in and the uh there's already one person that they're like sort of working with and building trust with that's pretty shady um, and so it's that sort of thing where it's like as a reward coming up, they might offer one of these sort of bio modifications to a player. And then that opens up a whole plethora of possibilities talking about the ethics of the world and why is this person now, do, you know, so it's like that that sort of adding it in as a black market element adds so many layers of questions that my players will be curious about um, going forward. So that's how I think about doing it if you're already in an established game and campaign. I think the, the, the black market angle is, is always fun. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I love running character, I love running campaigns where the characters are basically criminals, but with like, they end up either through their own revelations and good hearts doing the right things or circumstances forces them to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my favorite tropes of, of 
RPGs. So the black market piece fits really well with that ethos. Um, I think we can take a lesson from superhero stories too. I mean, how many origin stories are, I was working with this piece of equipment and there was an explosion and I woke up and now it's part of me. Or I was kidnapped and some evil villain added this thing to my makeup or uh, I was bitten by this radioactive arachnid and now I have webs shooting out of my hands. Um, so there, there's events, I think, narratively that could easily give biomods uh, to characters. In a more science fiction setting, I mean, they can just be available and, and expensive and your and your characters can, you know, if you really want to make that transition mid-campaign, just let the characters know that they're available and they can start putting some of their resources towards them. Or if your campaign's long-term enough, they're, they're, they're actually becoming available in the timeline of the game developmentally. That's a, that's an option too. I think uh, an, a fun way might be some kind of loot equivalent, right? Like you've just destroyed the evil villain's secret base and you find all this stuff. And uh, apparently you know, uh, it uses nanites to bond to you. And, and either you do it intentionally because there are you know, very clear instructions associated with it, or it's accidental as you pick it up and go, hey, what's this? Mm. But yep. it's a, definitely um, a way that you could bring it in mid-campaign. Mid well, I think about too, like, you know, you're talking about loot from a bad guy or from, you know, somewhere, or maybe the person that you just defeated had something that then starts making all of these questions. Like, there's this weird thing that just like their arm morphs into this item or something, you know, and it's like, that's bizarre. That shouldn't happen that way. And then it starts you down this path of asking these questions that you never had a reason to ask before because you, and it, it, it's this sort of thing like you're helping your characters gain knowledge that then makes them make decisions going forward. So there's that element too that could be really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really like some of the other things I think of is if, also if you're starting and kind of the the new idea of lineages in Dungeons and Dragons and figuring out like what does that mean? So then I was this, but I'm also a dampier. So then I have the, I could that, that vampiric bent. So then, but I also think of, and so yeah, if you wanted something more akin to the aquaforms that are in blue planet, like there's no reason why you couldn't start figuring out how that looks as a lineage in dungeons and dragons. Like I was like for just conversation's sake. And because obviously I'm going to choose this, I started out as a dwarf, but then I adapted and took the aquaform. So now, now, I mean, first off, like my character, like, why did I do that? Like, who did that for me? How many dwarves are doing this crazy aquatic for aquatic dwarf form? But like, those are the conversations you get to have now because you're the idea of these bio modifications adapted as potentially lineages. But even having the conversation with your, your game master, your moderator, your DM up front of like, this is my character concept. How can we do this? Um, and that may even unlock the idea completely for your table, for your game of like one character has that and all these other characters had, and, and the players of these characters had never even thought like, these are great questions I should have been asking. And then going down this amazing road of a bunch of aquatic dwarves, obviously. That brings up, I actually kind of highlight the other way I think of biomods. So I mentioned previously that they are sort of the 
science fiction setting equivalent of magic powers or magic items. I think they're at least in Blue Planet, but in, in other games too, certainly like Eclipse Phase and, and those, they are the equivalent of getting to choose elf or dwarf or half orc or, or whatever, right? Um, because you don't have different species, unless it's a space opera like Traveler, if, if, if it's a more near future uh, setting where everyone is still human, uh, it's, the, it's the only way that you can kind of get different species, right? Different ways to play the equivalent in terms of uh, um, being different than ev- other characters of being a dwarf or being the damn fear. Yeah, because I also think of um, the squats from Warhammer 40,000 where they're basically space dwarves because of the natural and bio modifications of being on a planet with too much gravity for too long. And so then basically they become become shorter and hardier because they live on this planet with that increased gravity. And like that's also your answer is like even that why does that nece- it doesn't even necessarily need to be a whole another planet. It could be like that's the reason the dwarves became that way because they are closer to the center of the earth. And so is gravity affecting them in a, in a different way because of that choice that they've made as a people um, to live down there. That's an interesting concept, too, of like, you know, with all the different planes of existence in D&D worlds. Like, I mean, Neil, we've talked about this around dragon stuff. Like the reason a shadow dragon becomes a shadow dragon is because it spends too much time in the shadow fell. Mm. You know, so it's like they're that element that you can add into of like it may require you if you want to be more fire resistant to spend an exorbitant amount of time on the plane of fire and you have to survive there and it shifts and changes your DNA in some way. So it might not cost a lot, but it might cost you your life by going there if that's the sort of thing that you want to have happen. So there's like so many different elements of bio modification that you can think of depending on how you want it to work in your world. Like there's, there's no shortage of ways that you can make this happen which is so fun and so cool. Okay. I have an idea. Um, if you don't like it, I don't care. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but I have a random idea because I think this is probably one of the, this is maybe one of the best ways. It's probably because I do gymnastics and not doing an exercise just feels wrong. Um, but what if I randomly state some magic items and we figure out how we make those biomods? That sounds fun. So can we have some context? Are we converting these to the same setting as they are magic items, or are we converting them from, say, fantasy to sci-fi? Because that would be a different answer. Yeah, so my thought was to do some fantasy to um, sci-fi. But I do also like the idea of what does that look like? Yeah, I think either way. Like If you think of a way to go fantasy to sci-fi, or if you think a way to like make a bio modification in uh, traditional fantasy. So my first one is called the illusionist bracers while wearing the bracers. Whenever you cast a cantrip, you can use a bonus action on the same turn to cast that cantrip a second time. Um, but the whole concept behind it is these powerful illusions. As so more about the illusions or more the, about the, that you can do it twice? So my thought was to lean towards the illusions because I definitely have thoughts on that. <laughs> well, I think in a sci-fi setting, I'm just trying to think of the way it would be most fun to implement. 
but I imagine having an implant that gives you control over a tiny constellation of flying remotes uh, that sort of act as a, as a, not that you're flying them like a manually operated drone, but they respond more to your neural instincts. And so they move with you and, and move sort of as your body moves and that they are holographic projectors so that you can present either a different image for yourself or auxiliary images at some reasonable range uh, of communication between the, the remotes and yourself. Okay. Neil, why don't you go next? I'm still thinking. Okay. Still thinking. Yeah. Cause I was, I mean, I was definitely leaning a very holographic bent, but I wonder, hmm. Yeah, because I'm also trying to keep them like in the bracer in the in the bracer slot, and and I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the right way to think about it because at that point you you really are the bio modification is like the idea of in that fantasy game like it can unlock anywhere, um, and so especially I mean and then I start to go down this road of like oh my gosh Warforged are so much cooler when we start doing this stuff, mm-hmm. um, and so because I also think of the idea then going to a bio modification for casting a cantrip and it being another cantrip. And the other, the idea of even thinking back to when you were talking about being a dragon and hoard and hoarding this goodwill of like, what if that's what it is? And so it's this bio modification to have a, a place in you that stores this extra energy. And so like, that's where that duplication comes from and almost like is, the classic third eye kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so then it, it like you, you're casting that cantrip. And I, I mean, yeah, even that idea that like that third eye opens and basically does it again. And it comes from that very specific spot on that, on your body that you have this, this modification. And like the equivalent of a, of a, Instead of a, a, a venom sack, it's got magical energy in it. Mm-hmm. Can only store so much, and yeah. you gotta squirt it out, and then you're done. Yeah, which which works really well with the idea of it. It can only mimic a cantrip, and so then I can only like that's that's that limitation on that modification, and you start to get into the, those concepts as well. Into like basically, again, that exercise is developing those skills, um, and so then I can only mimic a, a cantrip because that's all I can do or that's all I could buy, or that's all I could modify to. So, okay, how about you tell me how an animated shield would work as a biomodification? So in Blue Planet, we have this stuff called Polyflex Armor. You know, it's a vest or a jacket or something you put on, and when the, there's any kind of impact on it, uh, smart materials, there's a, an energy source and smart materials firm up the fibers and rather being flexible, they become inflexible and provide damage resistance. There are versions that are implanted subdermal plates. So I imagine you could do something similar where you have these armored plates implanted on the body um, or vulnerable areas, you know, the uh, artificial equivalents to rib cages and skulls, but they are polyflex so that you can be a flexible person and move around. But when someone hits you with something um, from a stick to a bullet, it would harden up. And so you'd get these moments of inflexibility, but that part of the body would shield itself. And that animated shield would be that the different parts of the body could respond to impact from different places. So instead of a shield moving around you, it would just be different parts of your own body responding to impact. Yeah. I mean, from like a a really simplistic standpoint, right? Like the whole point of the animated shield is it leaps off of your arm, right? And you, your arms are now free. And so the, the thing that I think about the reason you might want to get an animated shield 
as a bio mod? Is it something that like disappears into like a tattoo or something like that on your body so that it's not taking up space? It's not taking up weight. Um, and all you have to do is have the command word and it like reanimates and comes off of your arm or like in some weird grotesque way, it like comes off of your arm and like places itself there. But the, the whole reason you might want to get it is so that it doesn't take up space, isn't bulky. It doesn't count against you in terms of like weight or size or hindrance or something like that. So it and almost surprise. becomes... Yeah, right. right. And it's something Your enemies that, are like, like, whoa, now you're defended. Well, yeah. And it might it might cause them to be startled or like, uh, this is really bizarre and cause throw them for a loop a little bit, you know. So that's that's the really simplistic version that I think of. Any thoughts from you, Neil? I'm trying to turn my brain off of uh, the biomod where it's Oh nope. I guess that's a super creepy fantasy way to do it. I love it. I'm in. Um what if something lives inside you? That's your biomodification. It's a thing that lives inside. I mean, and that's the same concept as the the uh, nanotechnology or nano nano sized organisms. But I like I kind of like the super terrifying version of not nano. Um, and it's like some sort of creature that and you again, you find that narrative reason. You find that reason because of the player. Is it that the is it that you're doing an interesting adaptation to a wizard? Because this is one of the magic items that a wizard would lean toward because now I can have a shield per se, but it's not engaging my hands. So is it my familiar or is it like an additional familiar, if you will? Um, and so then, yeah, it makes me think of like, uh, like an imp that flies out and deflects those hits as they would come in. Um, and from like that, that descriptor as the DM, I would also think to very specifically describe it when I can realize that it's that, that two. So it's that two additional armor and so anytime that would hit would have hit that range, being very intentional and specific about how that imp had flown out and um, pushed the arrow away at the last moment or something along those lines. To be specific about the, the thing living inside you version of Biomods, uh, we have one in Blue Planet. Uh, in fact, the characters you played in that game, most of them had it. It's called the immunolo immunological symbiote. Basically, it's a genetically engineered amoeba that is custom fit to your genome and um, immunological system and then just inject it into your body and it lives there and it basically reinforces your immune system eating invading bacteria and viruses and cancer cells and it does just a really good job of keeping you preternaturally healthy but this idea of this army i mean we already have it now people don't realize that our white blood cells are essentially um, mobile crawl some of them macrophages crawling around in between your cells eating dead cells and errant pieces of protein so we just took it to one level larger and made them actual amoeba but that concept of it living inside you and creeping around inside is a bit of body horror um, but i like juxtaposing it against the benefit it provides yeah and i guess maybe that's i hit and i want to jokingly blame chris um we've been too excited about just the utter joy of adding bio modifications to a game but one of the things is to to think about the the negative ramifications and we have hit that from um a bit of a macro perspective of the legality or the financial burden of doing that but there also can be costs you are doing this the idea like the body horror or what has also been implanted when these kind of things happen or um are there negatives because um 
using is using part of the biomodification for a time giving you a benefit that then you have the repercussion i think of barbarian rage as like your dnd um analog of that kind of idea but figuring out um the potential negative ramifications of doing this kind of thing yeah i've wondered too like how long it would take the humanity to overcome the sort of uncanny valley part mm-hmm. right if everybody i mean at some point you know, if everyone has it and you grow up with it, there's no, it doesn't seem weird, but there's going to be a transition where as even now when people have like the beads planted under their skin or other um, like spikes and things put around there, that draws in a kind of attention and, and looks atypical in a way that I think biomods would be an extreme example. Uh, and I wonder a lot about that as a negative element, right? And in science fiction settings, there's always counters. Uh, for example, if you've got a bunch of electronics built into your body and someone uses an EMP, what are you suddenly going to lose, right? Is your brain going to stop working to your ner- connecting to your nervous system because you have accelerated nerves? Um, or is the constant recording that you're going to do be, be a channel through your artificial senses to hack your brain? Uh, so there, I think there are lots of cool story and narrative ways of emphasizing those negative impacts of having these biomods. So good. Okay. So next up is a a section that I think we could probably spend as much time on as we have thus far, because the last piece is, is we always have is homework. So where are pieces of media that people could go watch and experience to learn more about the topic at hand. And again, like literally just go outside. I don't know. Look at literally. (laughs) I mean, I have some specific examples that that I just enjoy. Um, but yeah, there's so, so many, and we've already started referencing some. So, um, Jeff, what do do you have? I mean, also I I realize it's very funny that I have asked the teacher to assign homework to our (laughs) listeners. Well, I did, I did think about this specifically because I wanted to provide examples that inspired me and blue planet, but also that I thought weren't obvious. And then I'm looking at the list. I'm like, oh, that one's pretty obvious. But anyway, I'm going to start with one that might not be obvious, but Dune. Um, oh, Dune nice. is full of biomods and not just uh, uh, cybernetic ones and not just um, genetic ones, but chemically induced ones, right? Um, I mean, the navigators, right? They're all, they were humans, as I understand the setting, and they've just been exposed to spice so much that they've evolved into these space whale space folding entities, mm-hmm. the mentats and, and the surgical and yeah. medical chemical procedures to, to accelerate their brains. Um, I, I thought that was in the Sadakar, the warriors that have been built to serve the emperor. I mean, those are all great examples of biomods that go pretty far back in terms of the history of modern science fiction, right? Because Dune was written some time ago. Um, but I don't think people often think of that that particular part of science fiction media as rich in bio modification. I wouldn't have thought of that one. Uh, Chris. I, I mean, mine are, they're kind of two different examples, but they're very, people will know obviously what I'm talking about. So I think of immediately the stuff that happens in star Wars with Darth Vader or with um, Luke Skywalker, when they get their prosthetic arms that work and are attached to their nervous system and stuff like I think of those sorts of things where it's very visible. It has an explanation of how it works in terms of connecting to previous muscles and nervous systems and things like that. The other one that I thought about was in 
the Lord of the Rings, the creation of the Urukai and the kind of mm. magic that they use to twist orcs and elves and humans and like they're they basically created a separate species of creatures that were bioengineered. Yeah, the more generic through magic design, kind and, of, yeah. yeah, and so like thinking about that and I mean that opens up a whole can of worms for, you know, a D and D world of like how weird can you get with blending different creatures and races and things like that in a world where it's like, this is magic. It's weird. It doesn't have an explanation all the time. But you see two creatures meshed together that shouldn't be together that are cognizant, talking, here, they're you know good aligned or battle at whatever it is, like that sort of almost Frankenstein-like sort of bio-modifications could be really interesting at just like a genetic uh, deep level. So I think thinking through that, reading about that, looking that up online and how Saruman and Sauron did that sort of work uh, could really inspire some people to make some crazy stuff for their worlds. Neil, what about you? So my favorite scene of a bio-modification conversation is from Pitch Black. Oh, where he gets asked good. how he got his eyes. That's a bit of a deep cut. I love that. Yeah. Movie. In fact, yeah. I love that whole series. Oh, yeah. You got to kill a few people. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. Then you got to get sent to a slammer where they tell you you'll never see the light of day again. You got to dig up a doctor and you got to give him 20 menthol cool so you can get a shine on your eyes. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Wow, you must like that movie. You got the whole quote down. For yeah, well, sure. That, I mean, that one. Yeah, it's so good. That one. Yeah, all of them are good. I still think. I mean. Yeah, Pitch Black holds a special place. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot of different examples. Like I said, we could spend hours, if not days, on doing that sort of thing. I would like to add one um, that yeah. I think is kind of a platonic example of biomods for me anyway. And it's certainly one that directly inspired their ubiquity in Blue Planet. But any of the Ghost in the Shell property, mm, yes, uh, the films, the cart, uh, uh, series, because it is everywhere. Right. I mean, the main character, the major is just a human brain in a robot body. Right. Um, that's the ultimate sort of cybernetic biomods. But they have all kinds of organic ones and a lot of interfaced technology. Um, and it's just everywhere. And they use it without it being. I mean, obviously, because it's visually interesting, it's featured a lot in the visual part of the storytelling. But from the character's perspective, it's just how they breathe and work and, and it's the tools they use. And I just really dig that because it elevates the setting to something different than what we have, right? Where everyone has these, what we consider supernatural powers and they're just using them in their daily lives. Perfect. No, well, now I want to go watch Ghost in the Shell. Uh, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Uh, so the last question we have, of course, is where can people go Find all of the things you're doing. Um, and well, of course, we'll have links to the Kickstarter. I point, I point down every time um, in the show notes. You can't see that I'm doing that, but you know I did. And so, the, yeah, where can they go to follow you and keep track of all you're doing? Uh, probably on a daily basis. They can find me on Twitter at, at Biohazard Jeff. Uh, um, they can also come to our website at biohazardgames.us. Uh, and then, of course, they can go to the Kickstarter page and learn about uh, the new version of Blue Planet and actually contact us through that as well. Perfect. And, of course, Jeff, thank you for coming on and sharing some, having this awesome conversation about Biomass. Yes. Thank you for having me. This is great. 
We just want to thank Jeff again for coming on, spending some time talking about biomods. And like we said, check out the show notes for the Kickstarter. And for anything you want to tell us about how you've bio- used magical spells, magic items, different things for biomods in your games, you can always head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Of course, head over to your podcatcher of choice, be it Apple Podcasts or anything else. Leave us a review. Help us get the word out. Go tell a person. Shout it on the streets. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. Or you can like us on Facebook where you can keep track of all the things we are doing. And today we have a Patreon shout out. And today's Patreon shout out goes to Andy Schick. And Andy is a silver dragon, so he's over there flying through the skies, be it the forum, be it Patreon, getting all of the content that comes with that. But with that... As always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like We're So Bad at Adventuring, which is going through its fourth season right now, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, which I am currently re-listening to with my own children, Detentions and Dragons, and more. And we just want to thank you for spending some time with us here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastery. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. So if players can have biomods, can I as a Dungeon Master have biomods? Like a spot that holds my dice? You know, I can just shake it out of my arm. Ooh. Goodbye.